Well, amen. All right. So our hearts are prepared, I hope. I hope you came with your hearts prepared, as we say. Don't come to church to just pray there. Come to church praying. Do not come to church simply to worship. Come to church worshiping. We will certainly do those while we're in God's presence. But it is important that even beyond these walls, we are still the church. The church is not the building. The church is the people and those that worship and seek the face of God. All right, so tonight we're going to be in the book of Acts, and we are going to be in chapter, and we started in this chapter 13. Whoa, can you see me now? Okay, hold on a minute. Let me take the shine off the head because I don't, I don't want to blind the cameras now because, you know, that, that happens periodically. But you should have waited. I could have, you could have looked at me and said, let there be, and pow, it would have been light. It would have been good. Because it just, it had been something. All right, so in the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 13. Now, one of the things that we have been talking about is this transition, this important transition within the church. We're seeing the fulfillment of the promise of God. And that promise was at first made to Abraham that in his seed, all the earth would be blessed. Okay, that is all nations, tongues, peoples, whoever it may be. It's not just one people, it's all peoples. That's the way God intended it to be from the beginning. And and also understand this, people say, well, it was just one people. No, 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 no. One people were chosen to be, in a sense, a light bearer, to take the word of God to the world. They were his representatives, in a sense in a very powerful sense for for that matter, but the scope has always been to save mankind. Salvation history from the beginning is not the history of man reaching out to God. It is the history of God reaching out to man. Man has fallen. He is broken. He is dead in sins is what it is. And God in his infinite love and grace has chosen to save him, to reach out to him. And whosoever will will put their faith in Jesus Christ, the one and only. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. People, that's not being uh, ugly. That's not being, I guess you would say, trying to pick a fight with somebody else. That's just the facts. That's the way God did it. And God has every right to look at us as his creation and to say, I love you, but this is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm telling you, anybody who's willing to lay down his life for you, it would behoove you to listen to him, especially when that somebody is God's son. Okay? So, Gentiles. Gentiles is what we're talking about. Gentiles, we're starting to see with Cornelius, we're seeing the gospel going to them. And we're seeing, even as the uh, gospel's being spread throughout the earth, it does include in the scripture. We saw this last week. It says many of them were going to the Jewish peoples because, as Jesus said, he was talking about salvation. And we even see Paul talking about this, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. It's not a preferential thing. It's the fact of the divine order that God has set up. The Jewish people as God's people, as the people who had the word of God, as people who were the faithful, or at least uh, they, they tried to be faithful in many instances, just like you and me, we have our failures. But as they were the chosen ones to bring God's truth to the world, Jesus said to them first they would hear of Jesus Christ, and then that gospel would travel to the entire world. All would hear it. 
So Cornelius, we see that beginning there, and we see that even as the gospel primarily was uh, going to the Jewish people, we see it now going to the Gentiles, and we're going to see that carried over. And one of the things that we talked about whenever we get to chapter 15 is we're going to be looking at the Jerusalem uh, Council whenever they really dealt with this subject of how do we deal with the Gentiles. And what was beautiful and powerful, just in recapping, if you remember, Peter, whenever he looked down, because, you know, this Jew of Jews here, Peter, in the Jerusalem church, Whenever God called him, you know, here's a person that even told the Lord himself whenever he had the vision, whenever the sheet comes down and the animals are on it, the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And what did Peter say? Peter said to him, said, no, Lord, these are unclean. I'm not going to do it. And God began to deal with his heart. Peter, you don't understand what God cleanses. If God tells you something that might have been considered unclean is now clean, don't you dare call it common in the what he was trying to teach him is that going to the Gentile people, he would have never even gone under their roof. But what he's showing him is just like Jesus with the centurion, with the woman at the well, and many other times of dealing with Greeks, Jesus Christ himself went to those people and loved those people. And he was now telling him the same, to go to them and minister to them. And powerful. As he is preaching the gospel, even in mid-sentence, it says, as he's proclaiming Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit falls on those people, just like he fell on the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Same miracles, same signs, same wonders. And it was proof positive to Peter because he said they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. The same miracles, same everything. And if God had shown mercy and grace to them and given them the same spirit, who was he to deny them water? to be baptized. So we continue on. Now we're seeing uh, Saul come back into the picture, and we're actually going to see the transition Saul to Paul. And once again, Saul is Hebrew, Paul is Greek, okay? Same name, just two different languages here, okay? So looking in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. So Paul and Barnabas had returned and fulfilled their ministry, but notice what happens here. And I want you to keep in the back of your mind Who called the Apostle Paul? Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. He actually saw Jesus. Jesus set him apart. Had Ananias come in and lay hands on him. So God's Spirit is resting upon the Apostle Paul. Even Ananias said that, that you may receive your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? But notice some things that are happening in here. This will be something to help you in your growth within the church and understanding how God works. Okay? And and please understand, sometimes whenever I'm teaching and sharing, it sounds like I have arrived or I know something beyond a shadow of a doubt. People, I'm learning too, and I'm growing as well. And when I read these scriptures, these are powerful truths that God either is teaching me for the first time or he is reminding me of. So as I share it with you, take it in that spirit. So it says, now in the church that was at Antioch. Now we're talking about Antioch, Syria, okay? So there's another Antioch whenever Paul goes on his first missionary journey, which is what we're about to get into as he goes to Galatia or Galatia. Whenever he goes there, there is a Syria that is actually in the area of Turkey. So it's a, 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 um, excuse me, an Antioch in the area of Turkey. So they're getting ready to go on this um, missionary journey, but it says now in the church there were, uh, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets, okay, these ministers of God that operated in the office of a prophet and teacher, and it gives their names there, okay? But notice in verse 2, 
It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now, isn't that interesting? You have prophets. You have Jesus Christ teaching this as well, the importance of fasting. And I'm not going to give a treatise on, on fasting here, but I want you to understand this. Fasting is every bit as valid today as it was back in their day. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It is, uh, as a matter of fact, if you go to Isaiah 58, it talks about it as an opportunity for us to afflict our soul. It is to deny ourselves and to turn to God. Say, not what I want, but Father, what you want, what you desire in this world. And it helps us to let go of the things of this life, the things of the flesh, and to consecrate or set ourselves apart for the work of Christ and what he would have us to do, or ministry in general, as you can even go back into the Old Testament. But fasting isn't just, and here's here's something that people miss out on, fasting isn't just saying no to food or to some types of food. Fasting is this, it is spiritual. It is that denial of yourself. And also, if you go back and you uh, study what God said about fasting, and in particular, I know I keep referring to Isaiah 58, but he says it's not only to bow our heads before God, but in turn, we're supposed to help those that are in need. In other words, afflict yourself, but help others. Minister to God, but minister to others. That is the fast that is pleasing to God. So it's not just about saying no, it's about loving and caring for others. So they're fasting and they're praying. Now notice, Holy Spirit, this is God, is now speaking to these prophets and these teachers, and he says, set these people apart for the ministry that I have called them to. Now you say, well, what is interesting about this? Weren't they already called? Weren't they already anointed? Wasn't Paul, whenever uh, he was on Damascus Road, whenever God spoke to him and after Ananias prayed for him, wasn't he already ministering? They already talked about ministry. Here's what I'm driving at, okay? And I think that this is, is good for us to understand in our hearts is that at any given time for any work of ministry, the body works together. This is one of the things that you'll hear pastors say. The church is not, never has been, nor is it intended to be, except for Christ, Christ is the head of the church, but the the minister, the pastor, whoever that person is, he is not the end all of the church. He may be placed in a church, he may be called by God to equip the saints, but it was never intended to be a pastor-only thing. The Spirit of God moves in the body of Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are given to you as men and women of God. Whenever we come together, okay, especially in corporate worship, or as we go to minister to other people, the Holy Spirit manifests himself in you. Now, will he manifest himself in me? I hope so, or you need to get me out here, okay? But, What I am saying is you see that Paul, just because he's an apostle, doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit still isn't giving commands. And notice that there are others that are laying hands on Paul and Barnabas within the church. Why? Because even if Paul was here today, and we would give him extreme, uh, I guess you would say reverence and recognize his gifting and calling. And I've often said this, and I believe it to be true, if the Apostle Paul was actually pastoring today, very few of us would be members of his church. Because as an apostle, he didn't stand up there and look at us and say, now look guys, we need to get along. 
It's not what he did. He looked at you and he said, cut the garbage out. You stop doing this. Make sure that this happens. And okay, we're going to worship this way. End of discussion. Paul, who are you? I'm an apostle. Okay. But we, under the grace of God, minister. And we minister the word as God has revealed it to us. So even if Apostle Paul was here today or any other minister, you as the body of Christ are supposed to be praying for those people. You are the ones that are going to be laying your hands on them just like you see it here. Just because somebody is consecrated or set apart for a particular ministry does not mean they still do not need your prayers. Paul would ask them, pray for me. The Spirit of God moves within the body. Okay? And we hear his voice there. So they're ministering, and the Holy Spirit says, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they send them on their way. All right. So we're going to be talking about, and I'm not going to get too much into the specifics of where they're going. The words are mentioned here. But right there in Asia Minor, we're going to be going to Galatia. So Paul, it says, uh, he, he begins his journey, verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, listen to that, sent out by the Holy Spirit. Well, these people laid hands on them, but understand, they as the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit working through them, are the ones that commissioned and sent him, okay? So it talks about, he sent out by the Holy Spirit, and he went down to Seleucia, and from there he sailed to Cyprus, verse 5, and when they arrived in Salamis, it says they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John, that's going to be John Mark, as their assistant. Okay, so what's happening, and you will see Paul do this a lot, what does he do? He gathers together in the synagogue. He's there to worship as well. But whenever he gets there, he's bringing Jesus Christ. He's bringing the fulfillment of the Torah. He's bringing that one for which the whole of Scripture has proclaimed the Son of God's salvation through him and him alone. So he shows up in the synagogues, and uh, he's going to minister. Verse 6, Now when he had gone through the island of Paphos, it says they found a certain sorcerer, um, sorcerer, magician, um, person that supposedly uh, is working uh, through black magic, sorcery. It says he was a false prophet a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. He went by this name, Bar-Jesus, which simply means son of Jesus. So he encounters the sorcerer. Verse 7, it says, Who with his proconsul, and it talks uh, about Sergius Paulus there, and we're just given historical information and names, but notice it says he was an intelligent man. He's trying to influence this individual, this sorcerer that is. Okay, this man called for Barnabas and Saul because this wise man, this Paulus, he is calling. He says, I want to hear what Paul and Barnabas are talking about. So he calls for them because he wants to hear the word of God. But this Elymas or this sorcerer, his other name as it is translated, it says, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So we're seeing this resistance here. So in essence, we have this individual with a lot of influence, but is also influenced by this magician. So he wants to hear the gospel, and this wicked individual, this sorcerer, says, no, no, you don't need to be listening to him. Don't have anything to do with Paul. But notice this in-your-face stuff. This is that kind of stuff where, where you see uh, God just right then and there laying it on, folks. But verse 9 says, Then Saul, who was 
uh, or who also is called Paul. This is the trans, I guess you'd say, uh, his name is forevermore going to be called Paul within the scripture. So this is where you're going to see that transition over. From here on out, he'll be called Paul. But it says, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, thing that's repeated, looked intently at him. What you're not catching there is when it says look intently at him, what that's basically saying is he turns around and he looks at the sorcerer and he looks him directly in the eyes. You ever heard somebody said he stared me in the eyes? That's exactly what Paul's doing. He is angry. He looks at this man who is turning somebody away from Jesus Christ and he stares him in the eyes and he says, now catch these harsh words, he says, oh, full of deceit and all fraud. Calls him a fraud right then and there. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Now understand, this is the Holy Spirit moving in him. It says, full of the Holy Spirit. So he says, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? So he calls him down. If you've ever been disciplined, that's it. Okay? Verse 11, it says, And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, but not in a good way, is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now, that gets your attention, right? Think about it. Paul's standing there. He resists the gospel. And this is something that is taught once again, a repeated thing throughout all of Acts is that the Holy Spirit confirms his word with signs following. We are not out there just as people that are speaking or peddling religion. That is not what we're doing. We are not people that just have some sort of religious writ here where we're standing up and talking to people and just trying to convince them in our own strength that this is something to be believed. No, this is the truth of the living God. And because of that, when Paul's standing there and this fellow wants to hear the word of God, here is a fellow that steps in in wickedness and evil and says, no, 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 no. You don't need to listen to this person. Paul looks at him and he says, you know, you sorry, whatever. He just lets him have it. You son of the devil. And he says, the hand of the Lord is now upon you and you will not see. And he's blind. Now, the very thing that the sorcerer wished to do, which was draw people away from Christ, what did he do just then? He's pushing them right toward Christ in his judgment. You think about that. Now he's blind and everybody can see that the hand of the Lord was moving, that Paul and Barnabas are just not peddlers of religion, but that these people are indeed men of God. Okay. So they led him around by the hand. Verse 12, it says, Then the proconsul believed, you think? I, I'm, I would think that would probably motivate him. But it says he believed, and when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teacher, teaching of the Lord. So he's not only hearing the word of God, and maybe it's good to, to, to share a little distinction here. Miracles, signs, and wonders, I absolutely believe in them, just as in the day that it was written in this book, God does not change, Okay. Now, miracles are just that. They're miracles. They're not norms. They're things that God does from time to time to reveal his glory, to confirm the word of God. But miracles do not save in and of themselves. Miracles may get our attention, but it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. In other words, you perform a miracle, people come and they say, what's going on? Why did this happen? You know, this is a wonderful, glorious thing that has taken place, but what now? 
and then they would follow up, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would preach the gospel. So salvation comes as a result of that. The miracles get the attention. All right. So let's see. So verse 13, it says, Now when Paul and his party set all from, so they set sail for Paphos. It says they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, that would be John Mark, departing from them and returned to Jerusalem. It says, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, or some people say Pisidia, but Pisidia, that's going to be the Antioch that is in Turkey, not in Antioch where they came from, where they were first called Christians. And it says, they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and prophets, now you think about this, whenever the Jews would get together, there would be a reading, there would be a selection from the scriptures. If you remember Jesus, whenever he went into the synagogue and he was given the opportunity to read, not just anybody just hopped up and read. It's not to say that people might not be given opportunity to share and to read, but many times whenever it came to the reading in the synagogues, it was usually a respected person or a teacher in some way for the order of service. And they would pick up a selection and they would read from the scripture. In Jesus' case, he read from the prophets of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, deliverance to the captives, recovery of the sight of the blind, and so on. So many times you will have a, re- uh, a reading from, of course, any of the scriptures, but the law and the prophets. Then after that, people were at liberty. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't have teachers, because obviously they had rabbis, but people could share and expound on the scriptures. So you're going to see this right here. It says, after reading the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation or encouragement for the people, say it. You got anything you want to share? Now notice, Paul is not one to miss an opportunity, whether it be for an idol to the unknown God or whatever it is, Paul will jump up and take that opportunity to share and to preach Jesus Christ. So it says, Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, He said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. People, this is not by accident. You will notice this in the preaching of Paul and Peter or any of the apostles. One of the first things that happens when people try to discredit them, they will say this person teaches against Moses or they teach what is against the prophets. And one of the first things they do when they stand up is to set the stage I believe in the patriarchs. I believe the scripture. I believe in the law. I believe in the prophets. So they will go ahead and set this stage so that the people will listen. So just like here, men of Israel, and you who fear God, he's saying, I'm a God-fearer, listen. So verse 17, the God, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, reference to the patriarchs, and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. He's referring to the Exodus. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out. So they're delivered. Talking about the plagues upon Egypt, the the Passover, God takes them out. So verse 18, it says, Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Every single Jew there knew about the 40 years of wandering 
in the wilderness after they said they could not take the promised land. And the reason why he says put up with them, what did they do during those 40 years? They complained against God. Weren't there graves in Egypt? We would have been better off there. There was food to eat everywhere. You know, slavery evidently was a wonderful thing. But, so they say we were there for 40 years. Okay, verse 19. And when he had destroyed seven nations, talking about the conquest, in the land of Canaan, it says he distributed their land to them by allotment. That's the 12 tribes of Israel receiving their land. Verse 20, it says, after that, he gave them judges. Logical progression. Okay, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. What? Joshua, judges, right? We keep going there. But anyway, you see that in the land. So it says he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, who is... Uh, most people credit him with being that first prophet, but I want to be careful, formal prophet, because even, um, oh goodness, you have several of the patriarchs that actually prophesied during that time, but you're talking about the formal office of a prophet. Okay. Till Samuel the prophet, verse 21, and afterward, it says they asked for a king so God gave them Saul. So we're getting into the kingdom where God appoints Saul originally, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who served as king, but the kingdom was taken away from him and it was given to David. So verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do my will. Now, the reason why he's going to stop here and emphasize David is the same reason that the Jews also em emphasized Father Abraham. Through his seed, we keep repeating this, all the earth will be blessed. That's Jesus Christ. Now, whenever it comes to David, God promised in the scripture that there would be a descendant of David that would sit on the throne forever. That promise is kept. That promise is in Jesus Christ. There will be a, a descendant of David on the throne forever, and that is Jesus. Okay? So he's going to concentrate here a little bit. So verse 26, it says, From this man's seed, according to the promise, seed, who is this person that's going to be coming? It says, God raised up for Israel a Savior. And guess who he is? Jesus. He puts it down here. His name is Jesus. After John, John the Baptist had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. When John came, what was his message? Repent and believe on the one who was to come. Turn your hearts back to God. That's the reason why Jesus, when the people asked him, said, Jesus, the scripture says that Elijah is going to return. You know, when's he going to return? He says, I'll tell you this, if you'll receive it. He said, he has already returned. And they did to him whatever they wanted to. And he says, this spake he of John the Baptist, who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And as the scripture said, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, to restore what God had originally desired for us, to love, to honor, to worship him in repentance and in truth, spirit and truth, I guess is a better way to say that. But that's what John does. So he's proclaiming this, that they should believe, repent and believe on the one that is to come. In verse 25, it says, and as John was finishing his course, okay, uh, preaching, he said, who do you think I am? Now, this is interesting. Whenever you look at the gospel accounts uh, versus this here, you see a little different dialogue. You see John actually looking at him saying, who do you think I am? 
You know, they came to him and said, who are you? And he's like, who do you think I am? And whenever it comes down to it, John told him, he said, you know, they said, are you the Christ? He said, no, I am not the Christ. Well, are you that prophet? Are you the prophet like Moses that is to come into the world? He says, no. Well, are, are you this, that, and the other? No. Who are you? And John says, oh, very simply, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I am the person who God has sent into the world to herald the coming of the Messiah. He is here. Okay? Not that he is coming. He is here. All right. Whose sandal latch, uh, latch, sandal latch, I'm not worthy to loose, or sandal strap, whichever translation you've got there. So, that's who he is. So he said to him, who do you think I am? He said, I am not he that would be the Christ, but behold, there comes one after me whose sandals, uh, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Verse 26, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, notice David and Abraham, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To you, the word of this salvation was sent. This message that I'm proclaiming to you right now, this message that Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, is being sent to you. You Listen, hear, receive. All right. For those, verse 27, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in uh, commending him. Now let's go back. What's he saying there? They were just reading from the law and the prophets. So what he does is he calls them back to them. He said, our ancestors didn't understand. And he said, even you didn't understand. He said, you didn't recognize him, nor do you understand. Did you understand the teaching of Scripture, what it has said about Jesus, this Jesus Christ? But now I'm going to proclaim it to you. So let's see, verse 28, and he talks about Christ being condemned. And it says, they found no cause for death in him. So they asked Pilate that he should put him to death. So he was unjustly put to death. Verse 20, albeit for our sins, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's not the plan of God. What I'm saying is that the righteous was crucified for the guilty. Okay. Verse 29, it says, Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree. That is, all that was written, his life, his death, his burial, and ultimately coming to his resurrection. So they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But... Now, here is the message that we've heard preached several times already. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? The resurrection from the dead, that Jesus Christ didn't simply uh, or was not simply murdered and laid in a tomb. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. That is the message. Without the resurrection of the dead, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. There is no hope. So he is proclaiming to them that this Jesus who was murdered and nailed on that tree, God has raised him from the dead. God lifted him up. He's both Lord and Christ, as Paul would say elsewhere. So, let's see. And when they had fulfilled everything, they took him down. Uh, they laid him in the tomb. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 31, he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses 
uh, to the people. Now, he's talking about the apostles and also hundreds of other people. He's saying that this was not also a secret event. The resurrection of Jesus was not that Jesus died and then some people said, you know he was resurrected from the dead. No, he's saying this was witnessed. People saw this. We have testimonies. They have seen him alive. Paul could say, I saw him on the Damascus Road. But the apostles were actually there with him whenever he was resurrected from the dead before he ascended into heaven. All right. Verse 32, and it says, And we declare to you, what? Glad tidings, that promise which was made to our fathers. Now, Paul, once again, is referring to the Old Testament. He said, this is a promise that God made to our fathers. This is not just some new thing that we've come up with. This is the teaching of the law and prophets. As Jesus said, all things must be fulfilled that were written about me in the laws, the prophets, and the writings. The whole of scriptures. All right. Verse 33. God has fulfilled. Whoa. Why didn't y'all tell me it was 7 o'clock? Is it that good or y'all just bored and y'all are asleep? Y'all are having fun. Okay, then let me close because we got, we got choir tonight, right? Choir. We do have choir. Joey's looking at me like, I love you, bro. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. He's not doing that. All right, so really quickly. So he raised up Jesus. God has fulfilled this for us. Uh, their children. So we are their children. God has fulfilled his promises. Uh, he raised up Jesus Christ as it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now what's going to happen here is you are going to see that Paul is going to repeat, uh, or let me say this, not just simply repeating, but he is sharing the truth of the Psalms and helping us understand who Jesus Christ is. In David, you know, it says that God would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. That is, Jesus Christ would not just remain in the tomb. He was not going to simply be dead and decay, but that God would raise him from the dead never to see corruption again. And I guess I have to stop here. I feel bad. I was having so much fun. Everyone, if you would please stand. There was a good stopping point, I promise you, just about five or six scriptures on down. Father, in the name, in the name of Jesus, may your word and your truth. I know, Father, we're looking at the history of the early church and we're seeing what you, God, by the power of your spirit that you're doing in the body of Christ and how these, your children that were called so long ago, them and us, they're coming to know you, coming to know your truth, coming to know your life. Father, help us to walk worthy of our calling. Help us to live for you every single day. Father, may we never miss an opportunity to do good. We submit to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Love somebody before you leave. <laughs> I like